we've been going through a series in the book of John, and every now and again we do a sermon called a one, and it's just a once of what we feel God is is saying to us. And I think that often those those times where we share what's happening in our what God's doing in our own lives too is really comes from an authentic place. And um, I'm going to be focusing on one simple verse, 1 Peter 2 verse 9, which and really focusing in on um, when God calls us and says that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and what that really means for us. Um, I don't know if you follow the royal family. Um, I don't really, but um, I, I know that Harry decided to disassociate himself from the royal family for various reasons. Um, I started reading wine. I said it got a bit boring, so I lost about five minutes. But basically, in a nutshell, it wasn't all it was cracked out to be. And that's really sad because if you think about the roots of the royal family, it was really there and existed for the people to speak on behalf of the people, to lead the people. And so when we go, and it often happens in life that you see people go into something for one reason and tap out because it's not fun anymore, it's become too difficult, it's not what I'd bargained for. And so many people can do this in the faith as well. And we find, and it's really sad, that sometimes Christians will just go, this isn't, I'm just not cut out for this. This is too high a calling. What, what God is calling me to is just a little too much. And in the book of Peter, we see him wa- talking to the church and encouraging the church and trying to strengthen the church, which is really important because these are victorious verses. And they're ones that I absolutely love. When we hear that we are chosen generation or chosen people, um, it is a, something beautiful to know that you're chosen, that you're royalty. But we mustn't forget that the context of this was great suffering and persecution. And that in this time, they were going through great turmoil as a church. And that Peter's speaking to actually strengthen the church and to grow the church. And, you know, so often when we're facing suffering, that is actually when we need our faith reinforced. And is El still here? Where is he out? El told me the story that just too beautifully illustrated what, what really is happening, I think, in the spiritual realm when, church, when Christians are faced with persecution and suffering, which we can all expect. Um, it's, a, it's a fallacy to think that, that as we are Christians that we won't go through those hard times, but there are guarantees of things that we can know when we go through those hard times. But basically, he was telling me just before the service how they went to get some chickens in, in Durbanville in the northern suburbs, and this lady said that she, well, she had a huge snake on her couch, firstly. I'm not sure because he's not here. I can't tell you what kind of snake it was, but a huge snake. What kind of snake was it, Al? Okay. The story's too good not to tell because it just has been burnt in my mind, but basically a very big snake. And she said what she really loved about it was the affection that it showed because at night it would sometimes crawl next to her and lie next to her in her bed, which is like, I have a, a really bad fear of snakes. So that is just in itself traumatic. But then he said that a few, I think a few months later, they went to a snake show in, in Natal, and the guy who was educating them on snakes said that, you know, when a snake wants to size you up, they'll lie next to you <laughs> to see if they can take you on or not. So well, it might be worth checking in on your chicken lady. Um, but when we are going through hard times, that's really what's happening in the spiritual realm. It's those times where Satan is trying to size us up to see if he's going to be any match. And God is also watching and cheering us on. And people are also watching. And so when we are going through our hard times, our challenges, and our trials, that is the time for our greatest testimony, when we can show what God has done in us and who we are in Him.
Peter is also someone that's quite interesting because when he speaks to the church, it's worth listening to what he has to say. If you remember, and you must always remember that we read the Bible in context, if you go back to something he was commissioned to do, we see it in Matthew chapter 16. We see what, what Jesus had told Peter his job was going to do, and then we read this verse that we're going to be looking at in light of it. Peter was given a job by Jesus in, in verse 17. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, um, I, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. So Peter was a church builder. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He was going to teach us how to overcome. And I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, where whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So here is a man who is tasked with strengthening the church and giving us kind of lessons on, on how to do church and how to do kingdom. And so when we hear him say in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What beautiful words of encouragement. And so something that I really believe that as a church and as God's people, we are going to need to get stronger and stronger in our faith and stronger and firmer in what we believe because we're seeing it, and Brad spoke about it a few weeks ago, the opposition, the persecution that is happening. And we are told that as, as the end times come, we can expect that that will happen more and more. And so we need to strengthen ourselves. And something that I just use as an example is that sometimes if we put ourselves in situations that, that agitate us and, and make us uncomfortable, that's often when we get strengthened. So sometimes doing things that are just a little bit out of the box for you could strengthen you. Sometimes it might just be speaking to someone you don't know or, or doing something that, that kind of draws attention if maybe you don't like attention. I'm not telling you to go and just start arguments and debates and that sort of thing, but sometimes keeping ourselves sharp in this way so that we are ready for battle, so that we don't shy away from things because we are, we guarantee that we're going to have to get stronger and stronger in what we believe. So firstly, as we look at the scripture, before I get onto the royal priesthood, I want us to focus on the fact that we are chosen people. If you've grown up in church circles, you've maybe heard this preached. Youth pastors love this verse, you're a chosen generation. Um, but, the, but the actual meaning that's a little bit better is the, the whole word of you're a chosen, a genus, a kind, or a race, um, or like a family. So we can see ourselves as a chosen family, a chosen kind. We are the kind that have been called and chosen by God. And when you're a chosen people, unity is important, to stay together and stay strong. And that is what God had called the, his, the Israelites to. And if you see, community life was very important to them. And when the, when the Israelites thrived, it was often when they were together, and there wasn't fighting amongst them, when there was unity. And then you saw division happening, and you would see how it watered down who they were. 
And it's the same in the church. When we see ourselves as this called people, this chosen nation, we need to remember that at the heart of it, love and unity is crucial. And if we let go of those, we're watering down who God has actually called us to be. And I'm not talking even about big interchurch fights or other denominations. It actually comes down to if we are all priests, how we are treating each other, how we are talking to each other, how we are talking about other people and encouraging other people. It's bigger than just how we act as a group. It's how we act as individual priests that matters. So when God calls us to a people, it's, very, it's a holy calling. And if you look at how deeply he loved the Israelites and how he had their back and how he called them and moved them, we can expect the same love from our Heavenly Father. Ephesians 1 verse 4 for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. And in 2 Thessalonians 2:13, but we ought always to thank God. Um, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God, God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in truth. And so there's this foundation of truth, of unity, of love, of things that God has called us to that's so beautiful. And then he moves on, and he moves on to this concept of being a royal priesthood. Now, if you know anything about a Baptist church, which we are, we're guided by some principles, and one of them is the priesthood of all believers. We don't have a priest in this church. You don't need to come to someone to confess your sins. You don't need to have a pastor or an elder present when you pray. You don't have to, at every meeting where you're speaking about God, have someone that's, that's in between you and God. We have that direct access to him. And that is something so beautiful that we can celebrate. But we also need to stop there and realize, because I've seen this go horribly wrong in the Baptist church, where it's turned into something that, um, and, and I've grown up in Baptist churches, so I'm not you know, talking about this one, but I've seen over time how, how it can make people hypercritical of, you can't have any authority over me, you know, this isn't, you know, what can the elders say to me, and that sort of thing, and it's not that. Because the Bible also teaches us concepts like submitting to one another and honoring one another and using our gifts. And he gives um, different offices in the church too. But he does call each and every one of us to be a priest. It's not reserved for certain people. So if you've stepped into a relationship with God, your calling is that of being a royal priest. It's something for all of us. And if you look at the, the history of the priests, if it starts really right at the beginning, you see it in the, in the book of Genesis, how the first picture that we see of the priests is actually of Adam and Eve. As God calls them to walk alongside him as a royal priesthood to rule and subdue. And so priesthood had to do with intimate relationship with God. We've mixed it up with our worldly view of a priest, which is someone who stands out as different, that holds a title in a church, and it's not about that. Adam and Eve had this deep fellowship. God had entrusted them to lead in a certain way. But the fall came, and so there's now the separation, and we don't see any formal priesthood come up until the book of Exodus. Before then, though, you saw um, some of the young men, the men in the families, and sometimes the sons, um, performing sacrifices because the sacrifices were needed. So you saw some people stepping into these roles. But then you see the sons of Aaron that are first like, formally put into the priesthood, where they, what they're wearing, there's something specific that they're given that brings glory and points to God. 
You see in the priesthood how they, they really were, were pointing people and drawing people and taking people along in worship. They were speaking to God on behalf of the people. So the priesthood was a beautiful thing. But after the golden calf, you see that, that God raises up from the, the tribe of Levi other priests who they have limited tasks. They don't do everything. And not the whole tribe are priests, but from that specific tribe, probably because they honored God and, and he saw in them something he could use. He set them apart and then they came through that, that line. But with all things that have a human stamp on them, um, people fail. And we see that too, the tragedy of, of priests who were entrusted with leading God's people. And all of a sudden, they, they almost have a curse on them. If you look in the book of Malachi chapter 2, um, God says, And now you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. How sad that he can say that to, to the priests. And then he goes on to say, because of you, I will re rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices. Isn't that so graphic? But just showing how offensive they really had actually become to God. And you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I've sent you this warning so that, you, so that my, um, my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace. And I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of the priests ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the, way, from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I've caused you to be despised and humiliated of all people because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. So we can often have this romantic, beautiful view of the priesthood. But you see here, the, the actions had actually also become offensive to God. And so then we, enter, we see Jesus coming as our great high priest who, who basically sacrifices with love. And so that becomes the entry point now for the priesthood is accepting that sacrifice and that love. And that is exactly what the New Testament church does. And as we look at just some of their qualities and characteristics, we see elements of what God is calling us to because this is when it was all fresh. They've, they've just had Jesus sacrifice. They've seen it. They're having the teaching of the apostles. And so I believe that this calling is still relevant to us. Hebrews 10 verse 14 says, For by one sacrifice he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And that is us. As a church, that is what God is calling us to. And so the first aspect of the, the way that these priests lived, this New Testament church, this royal priesthood, was actually how they were, were demonstrating God to the outside world. And that is so important. Being a priest doesn't just have to do with how you operate when you're at life group, when you're with other Christians. It has to operate in how we demonstrate God to the world. And some of the things that they were known for, the first thing was empathy. They were known for the love and the kindness that they had. 
In those days, they, they practiced something called infant exposure. And it was horrific, but basically, if they didn't want a child once it was born, they just left it to die. And they left it, and either the son would kill it or someone would pick it up and take it as a slave. And so the Christians were known for taking these children and rescuing them and looking after them. They were also known for sticking, out in the, sticking it out in the urban plague. So when a plague hit a place and everyone would flee, and that was the way, you know, quarantine, um, they would stick around, sometimes costing them their own life. And so that was something that Christians were known for. There was also, they were known for the equality that they had. And we see this in the early church of Antioch. And, and in, in Galatians, it's spoken about how there are no distinctions. We are all equal in the sight of God. Then they were also known for their morality. They had a sexual ethic that was different to that of the world. In those days, women had to remain faithful in marriage, but men could do as they pleased. And it was a status thing where they would always take people that were of a lower status. So it was almost proving something through what they were doing. But the Christians were called to remain faithful in marriage, to love one partner for life. And so as they honored God and each other in this way, they would have stood out as different in a culture that was doing as it pleased. And then they were also known for their hospitality, for opening up their homes to those who, should, who, who didn't necessarily belong. And we see Jesus modeled all of this, and the early church modeled all of this. And they would have stood out, because in those days, if you think about what had happened, the, the things that God had required had become law. And so they would do just whatever was required of the law, but they didn't do it with a willing heart. So all of a sudden, Christians had the Holy Spirit who was empowering them in love to go above and beyond what they actually were called to do. And we saw in the book of John how, how the Pharisees had just had all these clever ways of getting around these rules to still do what they want. And now all of a sudden, you're turning what that priesthood had done and God is writing what had become so wrong and evil. But then there are a few other things that we see that God calls us to as priests. And this isn't everything. If you read the New Testament, that should be our blueprint. But I'm just going to be highlighting a few. And the first is that the priesthood was saved. If you are part of the royal priesthood, if you are saved, you are part of the royal priesthood. But the opposite goes that if you are not saved, this is not a people that you're a part of and a priesthood that you're a part of. That should matter because this is something that should concern us, that we want this priesthood to grow. We want to see others coming in. We want to see others being saved because just doing church isn't enough. There's an entry point. There's a time and a decision that we need to be born again. But then we also see that the priests were in a close relationship with God so they knew God, but they not only knew him, they were in close relationship. They were constantly talking about God. They were getting together to worship. They were praising him. Their praise, his praise was always on their lips. And so we see this as a genuine overflow of the love that they actually had for God and the passion they had for him. And then we see that there was this beautiful unity. There wasn't a hierarchy. They weren't running around trying to grab titles, to grab positions in the church. It was something beautiful and actually quite fluid. As they saw a need, they would say, okay, let's put someone here. Okay, this church needs this. And the heart of it was, how do we preserve the church? How do we move the gospel forward? And so we see that, that everyone mattered. Every role mattered. Ephesians 2 verse 19 says, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. 
In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. If you are part of a Christian community, it's the foundation is God. We are built on him. He's the cornerstone. And we just come and we add to this beautiful picture. But it's not about a hierarchy in God's kingdom. We are also God's representatives. He's ambassadors. If you go to another country and you get into trouble, who do you want to find? You want to get to the embassy and find your ambassador. They know your country. They know your rights. They know your rules. They are representing what your country values in another place. And that is what we are representing. We are God's representatives, representing as, as we are foreigners and aliens in this world. We are representing God's heart and who he is. 2 Corinthians says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then the next thing that the priesthood saw was God's miraculous power. And it's not that this was just a New Testament thing. If you think of the priesthood in the Old Testament, there were some magnificent things that are recorded in the Bible when they when they saw the glory of God, when they saw him move in miraculous ways, when God used the priests to lead the people. And then we see that again in, in Jesus' life, how he went and he was just doing miracles to show who he was. And for some reason in our world today, we find this so offensive because the minute someone prays for a miracle, we, we accuse them of wanting excess or signs and wonders, and we don't need that anymore. And you know what I think? I think that in our little first world bubble in Africa, I think we've made our lives so perfect that we don't need help. We don't need God. We don't need the miracles. And for myself, the times that I've seen God move, I was at the lowest in my life. The times I saw miracles when I was the poorest because all I had was God. One of the times was when my dad was overseas for six months. They were, he was studying um, at a college and he was becoming a missionary and we had so little. And it's when I saw God move the most. And so maybe it's offensive to us because we would rather rely on our systems, our cell phones. We don't need to worry if our house is still going to withstand the storm that just happened when we leave here because we'll get in our car and we'll go to a home that's well made. That's not how the rest of the world needs. We desperately need a savior who actually shows up and he's a God who loves us so dearly. The miracles are an overflow of his love. I was, it was, we were celebrating my father's birthday last weekend and just for fun, because the kids love hearing the stories too. I was asking him. So he's, he's perpetually late and he always gets lost. And so I said to him, okay, tell us when was the time you were the most late? And he told us. And then when was the time you were the most lost? And so he told us he grew up in Egypt in Alexandria. And he told us about a time where he, he had to get to his dad for a holiday job. Um, and his dad was working in Cairo in one of the army bases as a, as a chef. So he got on the bus, but the buses in Egypt in those days, were, it wasn't a fancy bus stop in a city. You would just get off in the middle of nowhere at a bus stop and find where you needed to go. And so goes life in the desert. And so he went with his two bags, obviously not on wheels, just those old school ones. He had no water, no food. And he got dropped off and realized he was at the wrong stop all by himself in the middle of the desert. And obviously buses don't come around often. And so he just started walking. So someone with a poor sense of direction, that's the worst possible decision you could ever make without water in the desert. And he just walked for about eight hours and had nothing and realized he was actually probably walking in circles, as it does go in the desert too. And so 
he just desperately prayed out to God as a young Christian. He, that was all he had. <laughs> when you don't have a phone, you don't have anything else. And he said a little boy came, a little Bedouin shepherd boy, and led him to a tent, a Bedouin tent in the middle of the desert. And lo and behold, the man who met him was a man who actually knew his father, my grandfather, and had worked for him and knew exactly where to take him. So he sat him down, so he sounds sort of very Middle Eastern, gave him goat to eat with a, you know, a Bedouin woman going from behind the little tent door and then coming to serve the men and then leaving again, um, and some goat milk tea, and then took him exactly where he needed to be and found his father. So then I said to him, the next question is, well, where did the boy go? Like, who was he? And his answer is, I don't know. I'm like, but dad, where did he go after that? You don't just walk into the desert, do you? And he said, he doesn't know. And then we just got onto the whole thing of it probably was an angel because that's what the Bible tells us, that, that God sends angels concerning us. And how many times, and after I told the story at the 8 o'clock service, a few people came and just spoke about times where there was divine intervention in their lives. And then I laughed with one of the ladies because she said, you know, it was before the days of GPS and we so desperately needed God because we were lost. And I was like, yeah, isn't it funny? It's just one more thing. I don't get lost anymore because of my GPS. So it's another area I don't need God in. But can you see how, how in those things when we have nothing, those are often the times that we cry to God. And maybe we're not seeing God move in certain areas because we're not crying out to him enough. And so maybe we need to do more to make ourselves feel uncomfortable, have desert sort of experiences, not go to the desert, but do those things that, that help us to step out so that God, we can rely on him more. And then in the priesthood, it wasn't a spectator sport. Every person in the New Testament church was called. When there were prayer meetings, people were praying together, they were moving, they were responding to needs. We see that they were produced fruit, and that's spoken of, the fruits of the Spirit. How desperately, when a church be, is being persecuted, do you need love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, and all those things just to, to exist in a society that so was against God and so oppressing Christians. And not only that, they used their spiritual gifts. And something I find so sad in the church is when you see people operating in their gifts, and then one of the first things I'll hear afterwards is criticism. Did you hear what that person said or what that person did? Or That shouldn't be it. And in this week, I was just reminded of the beauty and the honor of just everyone in a church just doing their part. I'd ask someone in the church, I said, you know, if you needed to send someone for um, a certain kind of prayer ministry for deliverance, where, who would you send them to? And then she gave me a name of someone in this church who I hadn't thought of. And all of a sudden, we were speaking about how great someone is in the church that, you know, I'm not, it's not important that you know their name, um, but they're here, and we were talking about you. And isn't it amazing that that conversation, that's what it should be when we talk about people's giftings. Have you seen how so-and-so is hospitable? Have you seen how this person encourages? Have you seen how this person, whatever they do, and we just honoring and complimenting each other instead of bringing people down and trying to, for some reason, I don't appreciate the way you're expressing your gift, so I need to bring you down. That is not a work of the God, and that's not what, of God, and that's not what he calls his, his royal priesthood to. And then there was a sacrificial, um, a, sac a sacrificial life that they were called to, to be living sacrifices. In Romans 12, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
God is going to call us all to sacrifice. And that should be a regular part of our walk, is sacrificing and giving things up because he is so worth it, because our great high priest held nothing back. And then we also see how the the early church proclaimed the gospel, the message of the gospel. They were constantly speaking about it. They weren't holding it to themselves. And then we also see leaders emerging from the early church, and everyone is called to lead in a different way. We just think of leadership in a very one-dimensional, I tell people what to do. But leadership means I lead you closer to God. I take you on a journey. I disciple you. And we see that happening. That is how the church spread. We are here today because back in the book of Acts, people were faithfully being the priesthood of all believers. And we need to wrap up quite soon. So just to quickly go through a few things too is that then the verse goes on to speaking about how we are a holy nation, God's special possession. Um, We are called to declare his praises. And... um, I was reading a church, a book about church, and they were talking about how we are a church that loves to talk, um, but we don't love to pray and praise, and how we need to get back to those habits so that God's praise is continually on our lips. And that's what church really should be about, less talking and more praising. And then it goes into this new reality of that we've been called out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. And that is just such a beautiful reason to celebrate. If you're feeling like your faith has grown cold and stale, just looking at what God has called us to is such a wonderful reminder that God wants our hearts again, and he wants us to stand up and rise up as his royal priesthood. These things should never make us feel condemned because that's not a work of, the God, of God. But what, we, what God is calling us to, he's, he's convicting us and he's showing us these are the kind of people, this is a royal priesthood that I want and this is how it looks. And then just a few signs of, of warning signs of how to know if we're in trouble as a church. And I would go and look at the book of Revelation when there are letters to the church and they're being encouraged for certain things, but there are other things that are, they're, being, they're having pointed out. And these are a few of them. I'm just going to read the list of spoken about losing their first love, tolerating things that they shouldn't, being lukewarm, having dead works, so kind of works without the faith being spiritually poor and blind and naked. And if any of those sound like you, then God is calling you back just to say, come, come and be the high priest that I've called you to be. In Hebrews 10, it says this, you need to persevere so that, you, so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just, for in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. And just a real encouragement, I just want to end with another testimony and story of just how, you know, we can all have those moments where we feel like, God, you need to do something in me, but I don't know how, and I don't know how I'm going to get there. And just how beautifully and gently God works with us. And something that's been bugging me is just finding how the words, um, like I'm busy, I'm stressed, always comes, comes out of my mouth. And it's probably true. <laughs> and I mean, my son has got this amusing thing that when I'm organizing a big event, he'll come to me and he'll go, Mom, how stressed are you right now? And then I'll just be like, I'm so stressed, Alexander. But I'm like, where did he get that from? And why does he get so amused hearing that I'm super stressed? But I realized 
that, that I said to a friend, this is really worrying me because that's become like the thing. And it's true because you all know adulting's hard and we have a lot of things to keep in the air. And, and, I, and I was thinking, like, how do I make space again just to, because what I find is when I'm stressed and I am busy, that I actually, I lose my creativity, I lose my edge that I think, you know, I love to bring to kids' ministry. And so I know that I need to get back to a place where I'm not feeling stressed and overwhelmed and that sort of thing. And so I just started praying about it, but I was going, Lord, like I, need, I know I need to start unraveling, but I can't think of one thing I can take and put down right now um, because all of these are things I believe you've called me to. And I started to get really disheartened, and I just kept on hitting this brick wall because obviously you need a level of creativity to, to make it through hard times, and I'm just not getting the answers. And last week, it was Thursday, and we were going away for a family weekend, and I was running around at the church trying to do things last minute for school the next day, and it was 6 o'clock, and it was getting dark in the church, and I'd come to do a few things. And I was so upset because I went, well, I still haven't packed, I still have to do some shopping, and I still have to do a whole lot of things before I go. And so I'm walking through, and I'm just going, like, this is yuck. Uh, you know, it's not great. And so, and I walked down the passage, and now there was, a, there was a piano that was in the passage. We had moved it because we were trying to figure out what to do with it. And in the end, Shelley and I had looked at this piano, and we are like, there's no way. It, it's not even made out of proper wood. There's no way we can restore this, so we're going to paint it a beautiful bright green and stick music notes all over it. It's for the preschool. It's not this one, by the way. Um, and, and so that will be really cool for, for three-year-olds. And so... We, Daniel had started, so before he had taken it out, I saw this old piano with all these marks and things getting pulled off, and it just looked terrible. And there's one ray of light, the whole church is dark, and there's one ray of light coming through the South Hall onto this beautiful piano. And God just tells me, sing to the Lord a new song. Stop, stop the whining and the moaning. <laughs> like, let something else come from your mouth, because that's where the answer is. And then I went for a walk when... We were at the place, sorry, I don't know. Oh. Try not to cry. Um, where, where we were walking, and I mean where we were staying, and we were in the middle of nowhere in Malchas, and I was on the one road, and um, I was just praying again. I'm like, Lord, you've shown me I need to sing a new song, but I don't, I don't know, I still don't know what to do, because I'm always wanting solutions. And in the middle of nowhere, there's a homeless guy. Now, this is like a bit weird because he's there and he's lying next to the road and he's made like a little circle and he's got a solar panel and a really loud speaker. So I don't know where he had got it from, but he was living in the bush. And so it sounds like a story. It's made up and it's not. And, and the song that is playing on his speaker is in Afrikaans, My Soul Says Yes to the Lord. And as I'm walking on the street praying in the middle of nowhere, God literally puts this new song in my heart of, you need to start saying yes to God because you've been saying no too much. Because you're thinking, Lord, I can't do this. I'm feeling too overwhelmed. I'm not there. Like, you know, and I I'm, I'm keep on finding excuses to hit the brick wall. And God's just saying, I've made a way for you. I've called you. Do you know how deeply God loves his royal priesthood? You are so significant and valued to him. The story I've told you isn't just like a little special love note to me. There are ones for all of us if we press in and we just say, let our soul say yes to God. And priesthood looks different for all of us, and that's the beauty of a creative God. So we're going to be ending our service also by, by praying for a very special couple who've also said yes to God. But I'm just going to close in prayer, and then we're going to call Ian and Shayla up. Lord, we thank you that you've 
you've called us to be a royal priesthood. You've set us apart for something significant. Lord, so often we can walk around as if it's insignificant and that this isn't a great calling or a holy calling. Lord, you've called us to something so beautiful and it's such a privilege to be able to enter in because our great high priest, Jesus Christ, hold nothing back. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who seems to be hitting a brick wall when it comes to just knowing what you have called them to be. And Lord, I pray that we also won't just resolve to, to sort things out in the flesh and just sign up to do more things and keep busier. Lord, it's about who you've called us to be every day. And so may we respond with our hearts, with not holding anything back. Amen.